if you hear the animal cry. <laughs> he's not crying. He's excited. He's like, <laughs> are you sure? Yeah, no, he's not in pain. No? No. Maybe he's... Because there's so much news out there that could make you cry. And maybe it's always this expression of uh, disaster in his voice. The rooster is always ah, the first to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, he woke us up. And yeah. here we are, Tim and Mark. Yes. And we're doing news of the world. Yeah. Your yes. update. Not that... You know, regular recently, we have been sort of <laughs> killing it's, it. <laughs> it's pretty good for summer mode, especially for podcasts. Summer mode for podcasts is always very... Uh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. That's true. It's the winter time where you really get into gear and then oh, you know, yeah. do it regularly. Yeah. But we've been, we've been here the whole summer through hot weather and less hot weather. We've been... It just, you know, it takes us two weeks. That's true. That's true. Yes. So yes. the things have been going on, Tim. It's been crazy. The world uh, is insane. Yeah, you have uh, been uh, around again. I, I went to Poland. Yeah, uh, I really, uh -huh. Poland. No, yes. Why? I, well, I've never been there, and uh, my frisbee team, the Rusty Bikes uh, of Amsterdam, were uh, going to compete on the beach on the Baltic Sea. So I thought, ooh, I can go to Gdansk and go look at uh, what used to be. A very famous place for, for shipbuilding, for politics, you know, the birth of, birthplace of solidarity, mm -hmm. uh, the movement. Lech Walesa lives nearby still. So uh, I went for a visit and, and I really spent a lot of time at the shipyard, which is disappearing. Uh, I mean, there's still a tiny section that is running and making ships privately, but this massive shipyard where solidarity first started their, their strikes and changed, I mean, eventually brought down the whole Soviet Union, really, uh, these this movement. Um, it started there, but it's been a long time, and uh, things have changed. The, the, you know, many people, it doesn't take that many people to build the ships there anymore. There are cheaper places to build the ships. And it's, a, it's an amazing history and a very odd uh, present for, for that shipyard. It's like a lot of places in the world. You know, it used to be really important, and now it's like, eh, we're going to build a shopping mall. Hmm. We're going to build luxury condominiums. Hmm. But here, here's a little one building. We're going to save it. No, here's two buildings. Here's Lech Walesa's workshop. We're going to save that place, and you can come and see the history. So it's, um, it's odd. It's really odd. It's also very interesting, very worth a visit. Um, it's a beautiful city. But I, I found it, it to be sad. Yeah, it, it is a beautiful city. I've been there uh, once, and there's a lot to look. Although uh, Poland... As Germany has suffered a lot from the Second World War, uh, Gdansk probably not so much like uh, areas like Warsaw, where they had to rebuild the whole center and uh, did it in a, in a weird way. <laughs> um, there's actually a podcast that uh, comes up to my mind uh, who tells the story of uh, that rebuilding of uh, Warsaw. I will put it in the show notes. Um, hmm. I can only recommend that to yeah. everybody who's hmm. listening. But we have to get to the news. Indeed. Indeed. And the and news is bad. It's yeah. really bad. Yeah, this is one that's all over the headlines still today, and it probably will remain there. Uh, as many of you know, I guess it was three days ago now, the uh, Syrian government has been accused uh, of using chemical weapons. Now, this is something that's been discussed for a long time. Would they? Have they? Would they? Have they? Well... 
Now the report is coming that just outside of Damascus, in the suburbs of Damascus, uh, the government used uh, chemical weapons. Um, there's a lot of guess- guesses about what chemical weapons, based on um, the, the way the victims look in the photos. They're talking about 500 to as many as 1,400 or 1,400 uh, that have been killed by this chemical attack. There were rockets. I've heard that it was sarin, but uh, I don't really know, and I don't think anybody really knows what chemical weapon. And, of course, it's important, I think, to mention who comes out with this claim. So it is the opposition that is saying uh, we've been hit with chemical weapons, people have been hit with chemical weapons. The government denies it. The international community, of course, is very upset. Many people have seen the photos, have seen enough evidence. A lot of experts are saying, if you look at the images, you can see signs of uh, chemical weapons, specific kinds. You can see the skin color. You can see this black um, color around the mouth. So for many people, I think for a majority of the world, this is a chemical weapons attack. Uh, and, and I know for Syrians, especially those fighting against the government, this is definitely a chemical weapons attack. And so uh, the international community is calling for inspectors who actually, and here's another weird thing, UN chemical weapons inspectors were coming to Syria at this point anyway. Mm-hmm. So this whole claim comes at the same time, more or less, that they were going to go for an inspection. But now they want, of course, the inspection to focus on this area, this the place where uh, these rockets fell. So then it becomes a question of what are we going to do about it, in my opinion. Um, the, you know, you have the French government, as an example, saying uh, if there are chemical weapons and they, if they've been used, we have to do something. But in the same press conference, uh, I think it was the Minister of Defense, he gets asked, are we going to send troops? And he'll say something like, absolutely not. It's out of the question. We're not sending troops to Syria. So I don't know if that means, you know, we only fly planes and drop bombs. It's possible. Um, But uh, it's a very confusing. It's the same thing with the U.S. president who has said these quotes like, it's a red line. If you cross this red line, there will be trouble. You know, you can't. Chemical weapons is the red line. So the red line may have been crossed. I mean. The red line was probably crossed ages ago, but now it's really public. Yeah. Um, and then it's a question of what are you going to do? You've said you're going to do something, so what are you going to do? And I don't see any answer coming out in the media. Um, the only headlines continue to be inspectors, inspectors. They got to go inspect today, now, go. And I guess this week they're in the process anyway. So um, the, the next bit of information will come when and if they find evidence. Um. I assume that uh, Mr. Assad is not going to be very terrified by, you know, being expected to to death. And I wonder if there's really some threat model that 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 actually works. And I uh, recently they made um a lot of progress fighting uh, the rebels as it seems. So yes. I don't know. I mean, the US just doesn't want to be drawn into a new war. They had enough uh there's not so much they can can do, and uh, Syria is a mess anyway. And being confronted with the comp- uh, with a country that has so many weapons, so many different weapons, including you know chemical weapons, I uh, wouldn't say they are afraid, but they are definitely fed up with war. And uh, I think Obama sees this as a big problem. And I also do not understand why France is really always at the forefront of you know pushing for action 
whatever the action might be. Um, of course, they have the largest Muslim population in Europe and that might be a part of it, but that can't be the only story here. Well, they have some historical ties to, to Syria in terms of colonialism, but so does the UK to some extent. Yes. Um, I don't know, you know, France has, takes a certain stance on, on human rights uh, and war crimes and that sort of thing, but, uh, you know, that maybe there's an underlying deeper reason, economic or otherwise. Uh, one thing I was checking was just not so much about France, but like what is Russia saying these days? And they, uh, I found that, you know, hidden there in the text, um, they continue to back Assad. Uh, I don't know if, even if inspectors would come out and say, aha, look, evidence, I don't know that Russia would change its its unwavering support. And that would be pretty key uh, yeah. in terms of the world being sort of united. Uh, but that doesn't seem like it's happening. And I don't know if the inspectors are going to be able to give you any um, conclusion, like, without a doubt. Uh, yeah. You know, so... That's going to be odd, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's all very strange. You know, uh, even from a reporting point of view, if I could, because I believe that the the Assad government is uh, guilty of all kinds of war crimes. Uh, so I don't need there to be chemical weapons to justify the fact that if it were possible, he should be removed, um, or whatever possible way there is to remove him without killing people that have nothing to do with him. Um, but, uh, oh, hold on. <clears throat> oh, uh, I think, um, no, what do I think? Ugh. I don't know. It's, it's, it's way too difficult to, to maneuver this whole thing. And, and all the claims that you see, uh, these reports are from opposition activists. Now I'm not saying opposition activists are liars. They're some of my most trusted sources. Um, but uh, then the government says, no, it didn't happen. It's so hard to get any real facts, which is why maybe the weapons inspectors are one of the few hopes uh, because they're supposed to be sort of professional and give you uh, an objective sort of this is what's going on. So it's really difficult. This is like competing facts, competing ideas, and uh, this this attempt to get the world to care in a different way. You know, the government of Assad wants the world to care on his side. There are terrorists out there, and the rebels want the world to care with them. Assad is a monster, and he's using chemical weapons. See, so it's all very. It's a war of facts. Yeah. Besides a war of deadly weapons. It's yet another new mess in the Middle East. Um. Yeah, I mean this this mess is becoming less and less new over you know we're on we're getting into year number 2 but yeah it's 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 a mess but it's a modern mess where there's a battle of information that makes it very hard uh and makes reporters that are actually there extra important in an era where we don't we don't like sending or paying reporters to go places as much anymore. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. The facts the facts are what dies. No, people also, people are dying. Uh, let's go on to the next item, but the, this whole chemical weapon thing will certainly be back probably before we even do our next show. Uh, there's going to be a lot of headlines on, on the chemical yeah, weapon I, I would I would even suggest pulling um, forward here another, the, the Egypt part, because I think okay. that's so related. Yeah, so as many people have been watching, uh, Egypt continues to be a, a, a big struggle in the streets, uh, in, in the government. 
uh, even with the reports this week that Mubarak, of all people, is being released because, uh, well, there's no real charge on him or nothing that's been able to stick. He's now on house arrest. But uh, one of the big threats from the U.S. being a very important player uh, when it comes to Egypt's government is that the U.S. might pull its um, its military aid. Now, we're talking about uh, something in the range of one, no, 2.7. No, what is it? Where's my numbers? Oh, you moved it. billion. Yeah, that's what I wanted. In aid goes to Egypt from the U.S. And I've seen the reports in the the U.S. media, which is interesting, saying, okay, what is this aid really? Like, who who gets the money? What does it look like? And at first, the U.S. reports have focused on places in the U.S. where they build the weapons that go to Egypt. You know, these places in Pennsylvania where they build tanks. And actually, the Global Post, uh, who we've mentioned on this show before, it's part of our news sources, they amassed uh, a list of what companies benefit from the $1.3 billion a year that goes to Egypt. And it's, it's a very interesting list. Uh, if, you, if you like you know, details and, and the names of companies, especially even after OM, you know, where we talked about what companies have been involved in surveillance in Egypt, you've got names, some are familiar, you know, Lockheed Martin, uh, doing work on the F-16s and uh, maintenance on them. They're, they're a big recipient of this aid. Uh, but then you have these sort of Italian-owned companies like DRS Technologies doing surveillance systems for the Egyptian government. You have L3 Communications, uh, which does sonar and military imaging equipment. Uh, Deloitte and Touche, which uh, people listening might even work for them. Uh, I always know them as some kind of accounting a firm, but they're apparently doing professional services for the Egyptian Navy and uh, providing support. This is how it's described for the Egyptian aircraft programs. Uh, Boeing, which of course we know does military stuff as well as regular civilian planes, they have a contract for like the Apache helicopters. It's it's twenty two point five million dollar contract. Uh, then you have Raytheon, uh, who love to make missiles. And they provide Egypt with uh, Stinger missiles, and they do technical support for what's called the Hawk missile system. I mean, the list goes on and on. Augusta Westland, which is also Italian, and they run the other surveillance company. They do helicopter maintenance for the Egyptian government. There's a company called U.S. Motor Works, uh, which takes care of engine parts for the Egyptian military. Uh, Goodrich, which I thought were tires and tire companies, they have a $10.8 million contract for uh, reconnaissance systems for the F-16. And the last one I'll mention today is the Columbia Group. Again, never heard of them. Uh, they've got $10.6 million worth contract uh, doing unmanned vehicle systems and technical training for the Egyptian Navy. And all these companies, they have a presence in Italy. They have a presence in the U.S. Lots of people work for them. And this is all part of this Egyptian aid that, oddly enough, is threatened as something the U.S. will take away from Egypt. And what we're figuring out, and actually this is a job well done to some extent by the media, different kinds of media, is that taking away from Egypt would actually take away from all these other countries and all the people that are involved in these companies because this is big money. And in some cases, it's stuff that not that many... Like, if you're making parts for the M1 Abrams tank which is heavily used in Egypt, whether they should or not, they use it. Um, if you lose the Egyptian contract, there's not that many countries that you're busy 
you know, doing tanks and tank maintenance. And this is an important source of work for people that would otherwise be out of work, is what I'm saying. So, so basically you're telling me the, the aid... Yeah? Have you heard the air quotes? The aid that is given to the to Egypt is aid for buying American stuff. To a large extent, yes. I mean, at some point in the whole building and delivery, Egyptians are employed too. So it's not just jo it's, it's a jobs yeah. program. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not not saying they're not benefiting somehow, but. The whole notion of benefiting is around like, okay, yeah, if you buy our stuff, you know, we can uh, <laughs> make it yeah. nicer. Yeah. And, and when you hear like the typical um, mainstream American discussion about this, it's usually, why are we giving Egypt all that money? They're crazy. Look at them. And it's like, well, no, you're, you're giving yourself a lot of that money. You know, you, it's a jobs program. Yeah. So not giving a not not giving this aid to egypt basically means you know taking it away from american companies yes. so we could say it's not going to happen uh and if it does uh, you're going to you know a lot of these average americans are actually going to feel it and get perhaps quite confused like hey <laughs> wait maybe we should keep giving them money You know, the same people who are going don't give them any more money it's like no no oh wait no no but keep giving us money oh um, so that's the odd thing. Now there's, there's another angle to this Egypt thing that we will continue to develop on, I think over the course of weeks and months. And that is a lot of people are saying, you know, what's happened in Egypt is a coup and, um, the Muslim brotherhood is being oppressed and, uh, the violence is horrible and it, indeed it is. Um, but there's a whole other angle that doesn't get reported very much. Um, and, and I, I just, am going to touch on it now, but we, we definitely need to come back to it. And, and that is the whole idea that the Muslim Brotherhood and the government that was in power in Egypt was not necessarily a democratic government. I mean, it, there was an election, but it was uh, a flawed election full of uh, problems and, and they've been heavily documented. But all of a sudden, the world talks about that government that is now gone, Morsi government, as like, well, they were a pretty good government. And oh, now they're, they've been oppressed. Uh, and what you don't hear is the opposite story, the story of, you know, what that government was doing to basically destroy the country or at least destroy the lives of a lot of people that they don't agree with in the country. And so for a lot of people, this is not a coup. This is, um, you know, the people have been demanding the removal of Morsi, a lot of people, you know, and this is the military going, all right, we got to obey the people here, you know, these, these huge amounts of people. Now, you do get huge amounts of people now demanding the return of Morrissey, uh, supporters and so forth. So it's, it's massively confusing and it's odd how the story has become uh, poor Morrissey, basically. You know, poor Morrissey, poor MB, they're the victims here. And, yeah. and a lot of governments support this story, including the U.S. government, who a lot of people think would not be so behind a religious government. But they are, and they have been. Uh, but why? And they, they love giving their military aid. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's super confusing. And I, I, I think the, the whole uh, foreign policy of the U.S. is confusing these days. It's, yeah. Nobody can really follow anymore where, where it's heading. It, you know what's interesting? It's kind of, it feels from the outside uh, like, you know, there's this big office, let's call it 
the the State Department. And it used to be they knew what was going to happen before it happened. You know, they were just like, aha, China. Mm-hmm. I knew that would happen. Good. Yeah. Now, now they're just like, what? Every day they're just panicking. <laughs> what? Who? Do we lie? I don't know. Are we with them? Okay, send the state. What? What? What happened in that country? And they're just running around going, yeah. ah, ah, who's our guy? No, not you. Ah, okay. So it's all just a sort of rush to catch up with what's going on in the world. Oh. Yeah, that's my impression. <laughs> ah! Like chickens running around. Uh, 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 like yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, speaking of situations in the world that the US government cannot keep up with because it could be changing at any moment, <coughs> um I added South Sudan uh to the list of of items this week because uh I mean, it's been said before as it's been a a difficult year for a very young country, I think only in its second year of existence. Um, but South Sudan, some are saying, is on the verge of, well, certainly its biggest crisis ever as a country. And some people say this could be the, the sort of line where if, you, if, if they don't make it past this summer, this year, um, it could collapse into a sort of almost state. Uh, and what's been happening is, you know, the, the, the entire cabinet has been fired. And then some people have been reappointed, like the oil ministry, um, Economic conditions are apparently terrible, inflation, the currency is being devalued, and there's this whole aspect of handling the, the what is the military, which used to be a sort of, it's called the Sudan People's Liberation Movement, so it's still got the old revolutionary name, um, and apparently managing these internal, the, who's in charge, both from the military thing and also in different diplomatic positions, uh, is becoming a huge problem. And they've still got a lot of people, of course, who were displaced by the the wars over the years. And there's this interesting article that I'm going to link up um, and that inspired this piece. And it's it's listed on the Brookings Institute uh, website, uh, which is basically asking the question, you know, will South Sudan collapse uh, within this year because of these kind of crises where nobody in the country even believes in its very young government? So they don't. They just ignore them. They just, you know, it'll just be break away into little regions of people doing things and competing with each other. Um, and I, I thought it was an interesting piece. I don't usually list stuff from Brookings, which is a think tank. Uh, but yeah, is is there is this country that is so young and had a lot of aspirations and has a lot of resources for such a small place? Um, is it going to just become a, a f- what we call a failed state? So it's worth a read and. I mean, this topic is going to come back as well because it looks like it's going to take a miracle for South Sudan to really, or something, yeah, to get them organized, united, and yeah. moving forward. Um, we, we should mention that, of course, the, the cabinet was fired by the president. So mm-hmm. he, it was just his decision to do this. And many of those who was fired, were fired were actually part of this um, initial uh, struggle in order to get the independence from North Sudan. So he sort of, yeah, turned his back on people who were part of the, yeah, I don't know if revolution is the right word here, but this process of uh, <laughs> being separate. And um, yeah, one can only wonder if the new team sort of has, has the power and the backing of the rest to uh, keep the government alive. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm not sure. I haven't met any people. Usually, I end up meeting people working in in different regions of the world, and I I'm wondering about what kind of programs there are for helping you know a young country like South Sudan, uh, and and what difference they make. Um, I'm I'd be curious to look around more for that. You know, all these NGOs that I've worked with. Um, I don't know that many that are working in South Sudan, but I should also, I would be curious to hear stories, uh, about what it's like, what their biggest issues are, uh, in terms of stability, because maybe that would make a difference, you know, it would make all the difference to keep the country going in these difficult beginning years, uh, and then later on its own, of course. I don't know. So I keep my eye on South Sudan because, hey, you know, uh, we want it to work. I mean, it's a country... Maybe it makes sense that it's a country. Now it's just a matter of how to make it work. All right, another item, and this one is Poland. Of course, as I was in Poland, I had to bring a Polish news item. Um, and this is one of those questions like, <laughs> again, what are you going to do? The same question we ask uh, the international community about Syria. Uh, here we have an EU issue. Poland is pushing ahead with the building of, I believe, two coal power plants, uh, which basically violate EU law when it comes to the environment. They don't meet standards when it comes to carbon capture, when it comes to emissions. And uh, it's one of these cases where Poland hasn't actually signed any agreement uh, when it comes to emissions controls uh, mm -hmm. with the EU, not as far as I know. And so they're going to build uh, these coal power plants because they need power. Oddly enough, one of the reasons they need power, according to the Polish government, is that they shut down some of their oldest power plants to meet EU standards. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the world. Yeah. Yes. So it's in this place called Opol, which I haven't really looked at on the map, but uh, uh, apparently it's not going to be a pleasant place to breathe. And uh, they're expecting <laughs> 1.5 billion tons of carbon dioxide over the next 55 years, and that would mean... Now, this is something Poland wouldn't meet the target. Now, a lot of EU countries have, and the EU in general, has, have a target of reducing emissions. And they would not meet the whole goal of 15% uh, of their energy coming from renewable by 2020, which was going to be hard anyway, but this makes it extra hard. Um, and what's interesting is the Polish government is basically saying, oh, yeah, we're not supposed to. Well, we're going to start building them. And uh, what are you going to do about it? You know? hmm. Oh, you don't like it? Oh, we'll just keep building. Keep telling us how you don't like it. And they're, they're, I think they're like the court of justice can put a fine on them of like, I don't know, some 133 million per day that they violate this, uh, this rule. But uh, what if they don't pay? Who collects? You know. Mm -hmm. So this is one of those odd sort of we need energy. We've been following your rules. That's why we need more energy. But now we're not going to follow your rules because we need energy. That's crazy. Um, I wonder how much um, Poland is doing in terms of renewable energy. I noticed some amount of solar. So I was in the north near the Baltic Sea. I noticed some amount of solar, solar but not much else. Actually, at the Gdansk shipyard, which is mostly you know closed down, I did notice a wind turbine uh, assembly company uh, plant. So I thought that was an interesting use of the big warehouses they have Uh, that used to be for ships. But I never hear about Poland when it comes to building of wind uh, energy and wind generators. So I don't know. I don't know. And I also don't know how powerful the EU is going to be able to be 
to cause countries like Poland, which is not the biggest violator in the union. Surely there are others. <laughs> um, but how powerful can they be? How, how, how can they get Poland to cooperate? Uh, it's really unclear to me what happens. By offering something they want. <laughs> That's Ooh. how the usual... The, energy? The of, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'll okay. send you some energy. We can send one of those floating energy ships. <laughs> the That's Turkish ones. <laughs> yes. Of course, they're powered by coal, but never mind. <laughs> the Baltic beaches will never be as pretty. All right. Here's a, a news item that's been floating around the internet. I, now, I try not to jump on every popular story, but this one is too, too funny and uh, interesting. There was a Russian man who has, well, he's now suing uh, one of Russia's largest online banks. And you may have heard the story. It's the guy who outsmarted the bank by adding his own fine print to his credit card contract. In other words, he went and in his computer, basically, whatever program, he adjusted the fine print to say, for example, 0% interest rate, no fees. He even added the line, the customer is not obliged to pay any fees or charges imposed by bank tariffs. Um, <laughs> and unlimited credit. He wrote in, uh, the customer will have unlimited credit. And then he signed the contract and returned it. And the bank ratified it, signed it, and processed it without, without reading. So um, he, well, he had a very fine contract for some time. And when the bank finally figured it out, uh, they want to pull it, but that's a violation of, of the, uh, the fine print. So he's now suing the country's leading bank for uh, something in the range of 727,000 uh, US dollars in compensation. <laughs> and he's being credited as a guy who outsmarted the bank, um, <laughs> which is amazing. He even adjusted the website. He, I guess he made his own because in the fine print, uh, there's a link to more terms of service online and he made his own link to his own more terms of service and so yeah this is really becoming legendary on the internet because apparently the russian courts are all going huh well the bank signed it you shouldn't sign stuff if you don't know what you're agreeing yeah. to it's interesting and i wonder what the banks are now going to do about this because more people will come you know, to the idea that uh, this might be <laughs> a good way to enhance the contracts. Nobody's reading the fine print, but usually this is always in favor of the banks. Right. And now I guess they're going to, I don't know, rescan the contracts and check them for changes because it's super expensive to check every single word, you know, by I think somebody. That, yeah, I, I bet. I don't even know if this would work outside of Russia because I bet there's some rule like if if you've touched if we can prove that you've adjusted the terms without us knowing or I'm sure they're going to add in a rule that says like just because you write in your own terms of service and we signed it doesn't mean it counts. Uh, they'll just find some way out of it. Hmm. Or they're going to hire a lot more readers. I don't know. I mean a contract is a contract, you know, and there's no defined way of how to set it up, you know, if you put in a word processor document or you have it on paper or fax it, I mean, the end result is the interesting part. And too many times banks have, you know, fucked the, uh, the, the customer by putting right. in something they didn't understand or didn't see, and, you know, the fine print, that's why it's fine. 
and um, it's sort of I, th I think it's a very good decision although decisions in Russia don't really mean so much uh, for us I think <laughs> but it's interesting to see that they've come to that uh, conclusion now Yeah, his name is Dmitry Agarkov, 42 years old, from the city of Voronez. Voronez, and uh, I'm hoping we get him at a at a hacker conference. <laughs> I think that that's where he belongs. Really, I'm sure he can afford it. Yeah. Yes. So, never I'm, sign something that you haven't read. No, right? I never do that. Uh, so keep an eye out because maybe this will become like a legendary case. I think it's already legendary, but uh, even more important for, for future battles against the banks. So we have a new entry for our new sources list. Yeah, I missed the, the news source two weeks ago, but this time I noticed uh, because I was using the Brookings Institute, I should bring them as a, a source. Now, this is one we've I've probably had one other in the past. Uh, this is a think tank, you know, these institutions where people sit around thinking, mm -hmm. thinking. That's and then every important. now and then they publish an article written by thinkers. And so Brookings is actually considered uh, Washington, D.C., so American, uh, Washington, D.C.'s oldest think tank. And they do, of course, research um, on topics like economics, Uh, policy, including domestic and foreign governance, uh, the economy, development. So that's why, in this case, this week we used them for South Sudan. Um, and they've been ranked as the most influential think tank in the world, or at least in the United States, which they often think is the world. Um, Brookings is interesting. You know, I've seen them for years, and you'll get government officials from different sides that will refer to them. Uh, and You know, you have these think tanks in the U.S. that are conservative and everybody knows it. You have some that are more to the left and everybody sort of knows it. Brookings is much more middle. Uh, some people will say because you're in the middle, you're liberal. Okay. Um, but it's a, it's a very useful source when it comes to analysis. So that's why in this case, the South Sudan issue, it's more of um, a big picture of what's going to happen to this country instead of just a story about a cabinet being fired um so you'll get a lot more of this big picture analysis and i i think it's quite good i think you can add it to a place that you don't have to look at every day but you can you can subscribe you know to a feed and keep an eye whenever on their blog for example they have uh an update and um yeah i i I'm, basically it's part of my media diet why every do now and then why do they have the dot edu um, top-level domain. So it's, it's not really a company? Uh, the, it's educational research. So I guess they wanted to put themselves more in the category of educational. But, you know, it's, it's scholarly research. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. They do have a .edu. That's their main, brookings.edu. Uh, good point. We need news.edu. That would be us. Newsoftheworld.edu. <laughs> <laughs> educational research what yeah because we're doing so much education yeah. yeah we know all about stuff um so yes brookings institute that's my recommendation and uh, actually that that comes to the end of today's news list did i did i have it too short hmm no hmm. no you don't um let's see and then in the coming weeks what's going on tim 
Uh, I have no events on my list, no talks, nothing. The only thing that's really already looming uh, is the Congress at the end of the year. Yes, the well, call for um, papers is already out, that's true. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm probably going to be involved a bit more than usual. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about this when, you know. When it's time. Yeah, when, when there's more. More stuff to talk about, but I guess uh, this is going to be big this time. Yeah. Um, the organizers have some trouble getting the new layout uh, ready because last time, although it was good, it was already clear that things need to be changed, mm. expanded, mm. and this expansion basically means that you need to use the other part of the building too. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be big. And I guess after this year, you know, where surveillance is the big topic of the year, uh, we haven't talked about this in this episode, but uh, sure it's going to come up sooner or later once more. Um, the interest in the, in the Congress will be bigger than ever. Yes. Um, hmm. Yes. That, I've, can see how that's going to be it was already a huge topic in general leaking but now surveillance will be back as and bigger than ever uh yeah uh by the way i've noticed in the last week or so i noticed this as camp and now i notice it again the amount of people interested in a new or a secure type of email system that has nothing to do with google it's like become such a bigger topic than ever uh because i noticed like you know the people that are doing uh mail pile have you uh, yeah. heard about them yet yes yeah. They reached their their funding goal. Mm-hmm. I, I I supported them. I'm interested, and uh, and then I I noticed like actually on 2600, who I listened to as a podcast, they featured uh, Silent Circle, uh, who are apparently have already been doing not well. Yeah, secure emailing, but they also do the type of secure email where they destroy all their um, records uh, periodically. <laughs> yes, after Lava Bit uh, closed, did we talk about this here in the show? I, I guess Not we did. Too much. No. Not too much. Uh, so Lava Bit, this uh, secure email service used by Edward Snowden, you know, mm-hmm. closed down because of pressure of, uh, of the government. Not to close down, but to you know give documents, and so they destroyed them all. And just the day after, or the same day, I don't know, uh, Silent Circle also um, killed his email, their email product. Uh, they have other secure messages and so on where they do not have to store private keys. Uh, in the situation of email, they, they they did and they saw the trouble coming. And before they were in trouble, they, they killed it. It's interesting because that company is actually fo- founded and led by Phil Zimmerman. And Phil Zimmerman, uh, he was guest on Off the Hook. Uh, on telephone, I mean, you know who he is? He yeah. is the the inventor of uh, GPG. He Mm -hmm. uh, is the original writer of the, uh, um, or he actually of PGP, the um, pretty good privacy. Uh, GPG is sort of like an open source re-implementation of it, Mm -hmm. but uh, it's basically the same idea. So he is the, the original hero who did that and who also was very involved into fighting the US government to um, get rid of the uh, export laws uh, that prevented cryptography from being exported from the US to the world. So this is long history and now 
this is sort of haunting us again. And there is a renewed interest in in cryptography. There, uh, everybody's talking about encrypted messaging now. And when it comes to email, it's very, very problematic because email is one of the oldest and um, not only is it's one of the oldest services of the internet, it's also one of those that hasn't really moved forward much. Email is in a in a really in a desperate state, and nobody really knows how to fix it. We can see it every day. Spam is a problem, and just you know, retrieving conversation out of this flow of messages it's 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 so ugly and it's so annoying, and it's impossible to to secure it really. And It's interesting to see that there is this new interest and maybe somebody comes up with some cool ideas. Um, I guess we'll see more ideas regarding uh, total, totally encrypted networks and um, darknets, you know, where you're sort of operating below the radar. But there's no, and that's the problem with these new surveillance um, activities by the UK and the US and probably other states too there is no real below the radar you know everybody mm -hmm. gets scraped and cryptography itself might be as strong as it can be the problem is the keys and that every government thinks they have access to everything if you if they think they can stop you on the road take your telephone you know and connect it to their uh, forensic appar forensic apparatus and retrieve the keys from you know where you have it you know um then this whole encryption doesn't work as well you know you would have to store complicated keys in your head all the time and being able to reproduce and type them in to your uh, devices every time that you use it but that's you know that's an impossibility mm. and even then you know with uh, uh trojan horses uh, I, I'm a trojan software that you put on people's phones that can actually be more or less implemented by sending secret messages to your telephone There's no real way. And that's everything is really, really frustrating in that uh, sense. And we've seen the. Um, we should have mentioned that actually. The uh, Groklaw website, which has been a very interesting source for um, processes re regarding the justice systems uh, they were covering very successfully the whole thing going on between SCO and, uh, and, and and Linux SCO you know trying to uh, take advantage of the open source system and actually in the end they basically killed their own company with it but this was a very interesting case and the Groklaw website all, always relied on private sources uh, to get the information and now reading the news of LavaBit she, what's the name, I forgot it, uh, she said like, okay uh, LavaBit wrote if you knew uh, what I know about email and the state of email, you know, you wouldn't use it. And she hmm. said like okay, so I'm not going to use it, I'm not going to use the internet at all, I'm shutting down this website, you know, fuck it. Um, if I can't protect my sources, you know, I'm just not going to do it. 
And this is really a state of emergency we have now in, in the internet. And I wonder what the reaction is going to be of the community. There will be for sure some reaction and uh, maybe the Congress is the place to see the first steps uh, in that direction. Yeah, I, I think it's cool that people will sort of meet the challenge or try to meet the challenge and, and create something. Um, so, yeah, I'm watching. I'm trying to support where I can. And uh, it'll be great at the Congress to see some of this stuff. Alrighty. Okay, that's it. Yeah, that's it. We'll catch you all and next week. Thanks so much for listening. And, of course, comments are always welcome. And, uh, yeah, catch you next week. Goodbye. Bye.